This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And every season, there's always one big game. There's one game that every Brentford fan says, we've got to go to an away game that everyone wants to go to. But it's actually a real shame this season because there are actually two BGs, as we call them, two big games. But one of them, Burton away, is being totally eclipsed by the match this weekend up at Newcastle. 3,000 bees in flight up the M1 and on Virgin trains and all sorts of planes and boats and aeroplanes and dinghies. And if people listen, actually, there's a Virgin deal out there. It might still be happening. It's 15 quid each way a few days ago. We didn't tweet it out because we wanted to keep it down. But um, apparently it's still there. If you want to go, last minute, just email us. We'll talk about that later. But loads of bees getting ready to spend a weekend in Newcastle. And even we're getting excited. So excited. We're so excited we're drinking already. We're in the White Hart in Great Suffolk Street in Suffolk. This is Millwall territory. A proper club, Bill. Proper club. But we are um, we're south. This is South London, Mill. South of the river. Apparently, there's. Uh, I mean, this pub is. We, 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 it's wicked because we've been so many different pubs doing different podcasts from them, and this is proper pub, proper club, proper area. This pub. I mean, no food for a start. Well, I used to work around the corner. When I was at the FT, this, this pub was on our lunchtime rota. It was a proper drinking culture back then. Um, you never got anywhere unless you got hammered by 2 o'clock. And, we, we, you know, our bosses used to encourage us to go out. And this was one of our, this is one of our dozen pubs that we used to frequent. And um, it's a kind of, I'd describe it as a, a pop-in for three on the way back to Waterloo kind of pub. Indeed. No FT, no comment after 2pm, yeah? That's right, that's right. And so, so if you're on the way back to Waterloo and you want to pop in for free, you can do that as well. But you might not be popping to Waterloo. You might be popping around the corner to the Tate Modern, if you're ever here. Um, the Tate Modern, I mean, it's, it's lovely, the Tate Modern, isn't it? Full of students, apparently, but it's not me that said that. No, no, it's, it's, a, lovely, it's a lovely place if, you're, if you've got an open mind. If you've got an open mind, indeed. It's also near the Globe. 
as well. The Globe is around the corner. And not the Globe pub, because we're going to probably talk about that at another time. It's sort of being refurbed at the moment now, but the Shakespeare's Globe is around the corner as well. Um, and also, it's not too far from Borough Market, which is where a lot of Bees fans go and drink before the Millwall game. But anyway, a bit of reminiscing about this whole Southwark area for the end of the year. We'd come down to this pub. It's a proper, proper pub. But I'm Billy Grant, and I'm in the pub. Again with me, mates. I've got to the left of me the Liberal Nick. How are you, the Liberal? I'm I'm well. I'm well. I'm looking forward to uh, the big game on uh, Tuesday night because uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the return of the Wally with the Brolly. Oh, the Tuesday night is Derby, so you've already skipped. You you've forgotten about Saturday in Newcastle. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the big game. The big game, Derby, Derby away. That's what you were referring to, wasn't it? Well, no, actually, I wasn't. I was talking about Newcastle. Yeah, that, that's a small little club in the northeast. I mean, you know, I say that I say that as the grandson of a long-standing Mackham. Indeed, indeed. I've got Mr. Dave Lane over here in the corner. Dave, how are you? I'm all right, mate. Um, yeah, you're right to describe it as probably one of the biggest games of the season. It is. Um, you know, we're, we're not we're not sort of like we're not rolling over like a cat. You know, um, waiting to be tickled just because we're playing Newcastle. They, they are a massive club. Um, it is a huge, huge day out. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we're up on Friday, uh, and then we've got Derby on Tuesday night, which is an, another another technically big game for us. So we've got a couple of really tricky games coming up, and I'm, I'm just glad to get back to league action after what I can only describe as the dullest, most boring, tepid international England break I've ever experienced. Watching England for those two games was like watching Brentford under Andy Scott and Terry Butcher. It was dog rule, mate. It was awful. So Laney's not happy, so he's back to club football this weekend. And I think we're all happy that we're back to club football this weekend. Because to be fair, I didn't actually want to mention the England thing because to be quite honest with you, it didn't really exist. And you know me, being to loads of tournaments and games and everything like that, and I feel a little bit sad. But anyway, we'll move on from that. Mr Allard? Yeah, I'm good. Um... I, 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 I won't bring um, England up apart from to say that um, I've avoided both games more or less um, I did go and watch some club football on Saturday and um, yeah I, so, but I am looking forward to getting back to um, back, back to seeing the bees and um, it's going to be um, I, I think it's going to be massive isn't it this weekend back to proper football I didn't, did I say proper football I don't think I did no, no I said, we need I said, to, um, anyone that's got altitude sickness though needs to check out some sort of um, herbal remedies before they enter St James's Park because we're going to be like higher than the Everest up there indeed I am a little bit concerned about that um, you know stuff, no, I, I, do, I do struggle with heights and we'll be talking about that a little bit later and me myself and uh, there's a bit of a laugh last week because I was having a debate should I go to England should I go to Dulwich and it came to Saturday and I couldn't be asked to do any of them and I actually stayed at home didn't go to Dulwich didn't go to England wasted my ticket um, and I just chilled out, like you know. And today, as well, it's been a bit of a long day for me as well. Today, I got up at 5:30 in the morning. Was down at um, was on Sky Sports, well, Sky News actually. Seven, seven o'clock this morning, chatting about England and Marseille. So I was there with Eamon. It was that very nice bloke, Eamon? He looked to be top. Said Brentford fan. He did the old tip of the hat and stuff. And I talked about it. So you might be able to get that on the internet, or it might be up there somewhere. Sky News just talked about England and Marseille, and basically how the French authorities got it horribly wrong. And the fact that basically the game was almost seen as a, a terrorist threat, the way that the Russians were so organised, they were actually going to raise the, the, the threat level to terror level because they thought that the Russians were actually terrorising the England fans. And then, um, when was that? You know, and then this evening, 
as well. I was just at the Fans for Diversity, so Kick It Out had a Fans for Diversity photo exhibition, and it was a little launch for that, so I put me down there, saw all the characters down there from Kick It Out. Great little exhibition down there. It's in Bethnal Green, Oxford House, Derbyshire Street. Go on to the, um, the Kick It Out website and check it out as well. It's there for another couple of weeks. Um, it's great, basically photographs from all the countries watching World Cup games. It's a proper football exhibition around the, I'm sorry, around the, around the Euros, and uh, like I said, to go down there and, and check it out. Yeah, go, go have a look. Indeed. So anyway, listen, we are in the pub and we're looking forward to the game at the weekend. But what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about relegation for the Premier League. We're talking to Villa and Newcastle and Norwich fans. Says here, how are they coping with life in the Championship? We're going to talk. We talked about songs last week. You know, we're going to come back to that because a few people had a little bit of input there. So songs and atmosphere. And more importantly, crowds. What are the crowds like in the championship at the moment now? Who's up, who's down? Not B's up, Fulham down, but who is down? Also, we've got a new couple of events coming up. Very excited about this. The Besotted Socials are being launched. And the first one is going to be very soon. We'll tell you about that in a minute. Also, Hang the BJ. We haven't had a Hang the BJ, which is an ex-player's favourite tune or a Brentford fan or something like that who can describe one of their favourite tunes. But we've got ex-Brentford and Newcastle striker, Joe Alon, Geordie Joe, and he gives us his Hang the BJ selection. Plus, we're going to talk to Newcastle fan Kevin Miles about the big match at the weekend. So anyway, let's look forward to these boys who got relegated from the league above us, including Newcastle, and hear what they got to say. Are they a little bit nervous? Do they think they've handled it? Let's find out. Are you enjoying your championship experience? Um, well, obviously, obviously not at the minute, seeing as though uh, the Villa have only won one in eleven or, or twelve, if you include the defeat to Luton. So yeah, until until we start winning games of football and start moving up the table, um, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. A hundred percent enjoying the Championship experience. It brings the local derby back in Norwich versus Ipswich, which is always good fun, mainly because it's an eighty-six points every season, um, and. There's something raw and real about the championship. You're never going to get bored because there's two games a week, three games a week sometimes. Um, and there's something much more fun about going away from home in, in the championship. I, I'm totally enjoying the championship. I, I totally enjoyed it. Last time we went, was it, was it 2009? We had a, a season in the in the championship then. I liked breaking the routine of going to different games, you know, different grounds compared to what you get used to in the... Uh, in the Premier League, we've got a, a midweek game against Barnsley coming up. We've got we've got five and a half thousand tickets sold out for that game. You know, so we'll get some big turnouts. And it, it is nice going to different places. Um, we win more games here than we do in the Premier League. That's another extra little bonus. But I don't want to stay here forever. I think the ambition is still to get back in the Premier League. What's the main difference between the Premier League and the Championship? Championship is um, obviously a highly competitive league. Um, so that perhaps could have shocked us a wee bit, uh, hence um, you know our sloppy start to the season. The key thing that, I, that I've noticed, it, it, it just comes down to quality. Um, when I say that, what I mean is the strikers aren't as good as in the Championship, the defenders aren't as good. I always like to refer back uh, to the games we played against Liverpool in the Premier League when we were literally ripped to shreds by one man in, in Louis Suarez. We couldn't do anything about it. We didn't play bad football. It was just we were done by quality. Um, and we lost them games because of him. And the only time we've sort of come up against that this season is, is when we played Newcastle. 
if, if you'd asked me that a couple of years ago, I probably would have said the prices. But actually, that's not been the case this year. Because we've got this £30 cap on away ticket prices in uh, the Premier League, we're actually finding that we're being asked to pay more than the Premier League prices at some of the grounds that we go to. So it's not even that anymore. If you compare the way Burnley dealt with relegation to the Championship compared to teams like Leeds and Wolves, do you think that your team has handled relegation well? Villa, out of all the clubs in this league, uh, we've had to go undergo the, the biggest changes. Um, whereas many other clubs were relatively uh, settled and just needed to maybe bring in one or two additions, um, a player here or there, uh, we've, we've obviously had to, to pretty much build a new squad. I think, I think Norwich have handled relegation really well and you've only got to look at the league table. Um, Wolves and, and Leeds are, are below us and have been for, for some time now. Um, and, and Norwich, on the record, are pretty decent at bouncing back. Uh, we've done it first time. Uh, the, the last time we relegated, and I, I fully expect we'll do it this time again. The, what we do so well is we keep the core of the team. I think that the way Burnley done it, uh, the way that Norwich have done it before and look like they're going to do it again this season... It's certainly the way forward in this. It's, it's something that teams need to look at if they want to do the same. I, I think Newcastle are coping okay with the relegation thing. Um, we've had a bit of a clear out because we had some players who were okay on big money, uh, Premier League wages, either come to the end of their careers or just didn't want to hang around um, for the battle to come back up. And I think that's probably just as well, actually, because I'm not sure that some of them were necessarily suited to the championship and the style of football anyway. Uh, what Benitez has done is he's completely rebuilt the squad and you can see that he's built it with a view to getting out of the division. I think he'd have to rebuild again, to be honest. If we do get promotion, he'd have to do it again if you're going to survive and then compete in the Premier League because I think some of the people that we're buying now to get us up won't necessarily be able to um, hold the, their own in the, in the Premier League. Some people say the more money a football team has, the less creative it is when going about its business. Do you think that's fair comment? Norwich is a strange one. We're, we're fairly wealthy when it comes to the championship, but you go into the Premier League and, and we're one of the poorest clubs. I suppose when you have more money, you, there's, there's less risk involved. So if you, if you chuck £30 million pounds at a player or £15 million pounds at a player and it doesn't work out, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. We've got another £30 million pounds to, to throw at another player. I'm not sure that there's a, a direct relationship between how much money you've got and how creative you do. I think it's possible to do very creative things on a limited budget. I think it's uh, possible to be creative on a big budget as well. Uh, if you look at Man City, for instance, I mean, they've got no shortage of money, but a lot of the things that they've done around the club, you know, the, you know, the women's team, that complex that they built, the academy and all that sort of stuff, is really quite progressive. But if you haven't got a big budget, it's possible also to be maybe a little bit more in touch with your fans and you can still do creative things in your career. I think it's as much as anything else. It's about the people and about the freedom of, of um, to operate that you give them. Um, in, in the whole end, when we played Brentford, uh, like you say, there were, there were a lot of fans uh, pointing at the pointing at uh, Ryan Woods and, and you know they were saying, you know, this boy's clearly got a good footballing brain, very creative, um, was knocking the ball about like... Like it was with such an experienced head. There's many, to be honest, other than Ryan Woods, there's been a few teams that we played this season, and I've quite liked the look of some other players. Um, and, and we often, I, I'm looking at it and going, well, what, how come we're not getting these players? You know, you might be able to pick them up for, you know, half a mil, a mil, or two mil. But I say fans, fans are fickle. Fans want to see names. Fans want to see players with big price tags. Um, you know, some of the players that we've brought in, 
um, Kajia, namely. You know, he's only done he's only done something over one season. I say Brentford have a have a strong philosophy of uh, maybe looking down the divisions, looking at young talent, and uh, have uh, an admirable scouting network. And it works for them. It's paying off. They're playing in the championship. They've been playing in the fourth in the fourth tier of English football a few years ago, a couple of years ago. I mean, it works. But unfortunately, Villa haven't gone down that route. And uh, to be honest, I can't see it ever changing. We, our, our record signing, or was record signing, Ricky Van Wolfswick. For he he was a a change in in um, I suppose ethos from us. We 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 touched the European market for this. 20-goal-a-season striker. We thought we'd found him in Van Wolfswinkel. We splashed £90 million pounds at him, and he went on to score two goals for us in three seasons. And, and that has kind of destroyed us now venturing into the European market. So creativity is, is so tough because fans expect so much, um, and there's such high stakes. So it's, it's really tough. But I think, I think the more money you have long-term, is going to benefit you and, and, and sort of the long-term success sort of hinges on money, really. You need a certain mentality to play in the Championship. Also, games come thick and fast from next month onwards. Do you have the players and manager to cope with life in this division? On paper, uh, at least, yes, we do. Uh, the biggest issue with, with Aston Villa Football Club, is, to be honest, is the, drud- like the drudgery that surrounds the club over the past few years, um, that losing mentality. Uh, we've got a, a real knack. As, as fans keep saying, of turning um, players, uh, well, what should be half-season players, into footballing uh, drips, to be honest. Uh, it's almost as if we sap any form of creativeness out of them, um, willing out of them. I don't think it helps that we've got some players still on the wage bill um, that are such bad influences within, within the dressing room or in and around, in and around the squad at all. Um, half-hearted, no-hopers. Um, and, and that does have to have some form of influence uh, over other players that just want to knuckle down. You know, if you see them on the training ground, you know, unhappy faces, causing mischief, they're picking up, some of them, I mean, Gabby Bonglehor, for example, picking up uh, a sizable wage still. You know, uh, that's got to affect players. Um, we've kept hold of Alex Neal. He knows exactly what it's like. He, he played in Scottish football. He, he's managed in Scottish football. He's played in English football. And he's managed in English football. And that's the kind of experience you need. He's a young manager who I'm positive will go on to bigger and better things. Uh, I've said many times that in the next 15 years he'll be managing a, a team in the Champions League. I stick by that. There's something about him that is, is just different to the rest. We played in the in the League Cup uh, a few weeks ago against Everton with a second team, um, a team uh, we made 10 changes from uh, from going into the League into the League Cup. 10 changes we made and that team was still worth £37.5 million. Pounds. That shows the depth and quality we have. If you've got the likes of Alex Pritchard, who's on the bench, you can chuck in um, when you need him. Sergi Canos, um, you know, Nelson Oliveira. If you can chuck them kind of players in as kind of reserve players, and you, that's still the quality you need. So depth we've got, quality we've got, the manager we've got, Norwich City going back up. Well, Dean Smith is obviously a Villa fan, and um, me personally, I always, I always like to have someone at the helm that you know loves the, loves the club and knows, or at least knows the club, supports the club. You know, we've obviously had Brian Little, we've had John Gregory in the past, and, and it's good to see those kind of managers on the sideline because it's almost like they've got some kind of empathy with you. They understand where you're coming from from a fan side of things. I think Dean Smith. Uh, could be uh, uh, the man to bring in. Uh, obviously, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, 
I mean, he's obviously doing a good job at Brentford. You do have to ask yourself, and again, this is no disrespect to Brentford, how far he can uh, take Brentford uh, as a football club. Um, I would be, if I was him, I would be looking to to take the next step, take a gamble. At the end of the day, if you've got uh, someone in in Tony's ear who, who, to be honest, spent a lot of money in in the summer, and uh, if he's true to his word and he wants to get us to where we're going to, like in terms of you know being a top European side, getting us back into the Premier League getting us into the higher reaches and stuff like that, then why not try and catapult your name at a club like Villa uh, rather than, again, no disrespect, try and you know, slumming it out in the championship? Uh, you could say on the flip side, uh, in an argument, that there'd be a lot more pressure perhaps at Villa if things didn't work out. You, 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 know, you might see uh, you know, fans calling for your name really early on. But then the day, I think it's a, a risk worth taking. And so if, if we ever did show an interest in Dean Smith, uh, whether it be now or later on down the line, I don't see why he wouldn't want to come to Villa. Fans have a tendency to reference history as a measure of how good their team is. Previous title wins, trophies, size of crowd. Honestly, do you think that your team supporters think they're too big for this league? The way I see things, uh, Aston Villa, you know, we've been around for over 140 years. We're one of the founder members of the Football League, ever present in the Premier League until last season's horror show. Um, we've got a lovely stadium draped in tradition uh, that holds over 42,000 fans and we've won an array of honours. Uh, I mean, you look at the trophy cabinet, seven first division titles, seven FA Cups, five League Cups, a European Cup. Fan base is huge. Uh, we've got Lions clubs all over the world. If you listen to, to Villa games on the radio, in fact, you'll have fans uh, emailing, tweeting all the way from Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, America, all over the world. I mean, that doesn't sound like a small club. Norwich City fans um, realise that we don't have the, the biggest history ever. We haven't won many cups, um, and we, I doubt we'll win many cups going forwards. But the thing that Norwich City fans know is that we have one of the most loyal fan bases um, in the whole of England. When you get down from the Premier League into League One and still manage to sell 22,000 season tickets in a stadium that only holds 26,000, you know that's when you've got a loyal fan base. There's a massive waiting list for season tickets. There will continue to be so. The whole of Norfolk is devoted to one football club in Norwich, and that's different to other clubs. You know, we have a big fan base um, for, for a championship club, and we continue to sell that out. The other hand is you've got our, our, our friends down the road in Ipswich Town who love to refer to their history. They're, apparently they won, uh, apparently they, they, they done one in the UEFA Cup a few years ago or something like that. They love to refer to that. But they're stale, you know. They're they're an average championship club who won't be getting promoted for the next five seasons, um, and and they love to refer to history. So it depends what what you measure success on. You're playing the league that your results deserve, and that's what our results have deserved over the course of last year. So I don't I don't think we're guaranteed to go up either, and that's surely the real test as well. If, you, if you're really big, you know, too big for the league, you'll get out of it straight away. No, um. I'm so quietly confident that we'll we'll be all right, but I also know that from some of the first few games, I think there was a bit of an expectation from some fans in Newcastle that we just had to turn up the match and we'd we'd roll we'd roll over people, and it might not have been a bad thing that we lost our first two games because it took a little bit of that away. It brought people back down to work a bit. The fact we lost at Fulham, well, we always lose at Fulham, but then Huddersfield beating us at home, I think, was a solitary lesson. Now, Huddersfield have done well. It wasn't a fluke. They obviously got a, they, they play good football and they've done well and they deserve their position at the moment. Whether it last all season is a different question. But I think it was a good lesson for the, like Newcastle fans. If there was any sort of arrogance about 
yeah, we, we're only here on a temporary sojourn in the, in the championship. We we don't belong here. We'll be straight back out. I think that was a reminder that you have to earn your way out of a division. Uh, perhaps there may be a section of Villa fans that think we're too big to be slumming it out down in, in, in the second tier, but that's obviously their prerogative. we let them get on with it. Um, it's uh, especially a bitter pill to swallow, though, when you consider that there are clubs like Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford, Hull, the Albion, playing in the Premiership. But, like I said, we're here because we deserve to be here, and they're also on merit in the Premier League because they deserve to be there, you know? In one phrase, tell me, what does your team have to do to get back up to the Premier League? Uh, the Villa players just need to show uh, more pride, passion, strength, character and obviously win games of football. Keep playing as we are. Win lots of points. So Ryan Pitcher, the Villa fan, Jake Reeves, the Norwich fan and Kevin Miles, the Newcastle fan, all gave us their views on exactly how they thought their team is handling the championship. Really interesting, that uh, those interviews, weren't they? Absolutely, and uh, full credit to the, all those three guys for being so honest as well, and I thought they got some really insightful answers into that. Um, um, actually, uh, as, as somebody who was uh, uh, sort of in, uh, suggested that we might look at doing this feature, I, was, I thought the answers that we got from each of the team roughly bore out what I thought we would have, is that Villa are sort of struggling, don't know what they're doing. Norwich have a bit of experience and have probably learned from the last time they came They came down and what they need to do. And Newcastle, um, and I say this in a really positive way, Newcastle have got that slight arrogance, and it's with a small A, not a capital A, because they know that they'll be up. And I was glad to see that they're thinking about making this season they're going to have fun while they're down in the Championship. But... And the intriguing point was Kevin, Kevin making the point that it's more expensive for Newcastle fans to, to who go home and away to watch their team away in the Championship than it is in the pro, than it would be where they sit in the Premiership because they're going to have to pay more than thirty pound a ticket for some places. And you know, it all goes to show that um, the thirty, the thirty is plenty campaign should be extended down in the Championship as well because it's unfair that you're penalising supporters, loyal supporters like that on that way. The other, the other thing is that about Villa, is that um, I mean I've just had a, uh, I've just had a small side bet with Matt because I think Villa are going to go down this year as well because I think, uh, I think Villa are one of those teams that think that they're too big to fail, and I think. Um, until they recognise that they're not, they're going to sink. And I can easily see Villa having a couple of years in Division 1 a la the Leeds experience. But let's see how the things go. Let's see how it goes as well. And just to let you know as well, guys, is that that was a, a shortened version of the interview. We're going to have a, a longer version of the same interview as well, which is really interesting. We've just like, we've just chopped it up a little bit so that we could put it on this podcast, but we've got a longer version where the guys go really into depth in their thoughts, and that's going to be up on the Besotted Audio Boom platform this weekend. So if you're travelling to the game on Saturday, make sure you download it. We make sure it's live by the time you get on your train on Saturday as well. That's the longer version of the Norwich and Newcastle and Villa interviews. Dave? Yeah, I, I, I found it's quite refreshing that they were humble. Um, I think I think 
they're like-minded souls. I think I think they're intelligent people, and they're they, they, you know, they're obviously worldly football fans. So they kind of get the, the the 360 degreesness of being a football fan. They know that you know it's not the be-all and end-all, and then they they aren't necessarily the most successful clubs in the world, even if they're in the prem. So they know, they know their place in the pecking order. Um, I think that in Villa's defence, they are they are a massive team. Um, they are the most successful team out of the, 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 those three. They have won stuff fairly recently. I know they're on the downward spiral. I don't I don't agree with Nick. I don't I, I don't think they will go down. I think I think they'll survive. Um, they're, they're, they are they are two. They are they are one of the original super clubs. And. Um, I, 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 they're not. I, I've got nothing against Villa. We haven't played. There's no history there. We, we don't. We've played them so few times. I actually want to go back to Villa Park next season on a Saturday instead of a silly Wednesday night and have a have a really good day out and win there. We, we could have won this year. Um, I thought Kevin Miles was really um, philosophic. I think it puts puts Newcastle in in in, in perspective where. You know they've they've won nothing in his in his lifetime. He's not a young man. No no offense, Kev. Love you. I love you to bits. But um, you're not you're not a young dude. And if, if they haven't won anything in your whole life, that makes you quite an average team. And I know you've been in the top flight because you've got the spending power. You've got the massive fans. But I think I think that says more about your fans than your club. I think your fans are, are hugely loyal. Um, and I, I just think they deserve better. And uh, you know, the Premiership is the right place for them. Norwich, I think, I think you know, he's right to say you know they're they're loyal. They've got 22,000 season ticket holders, which is is mighty impressive. But they're a yo-yo team. They're a West Brom. Then they're not good enough for the Prem. They're technically too big, only because of parachute payments for this league. But. They're one season away from getting promotion wrong and being stuck here. So uh, they don't go up this year. Watch yourselves because they they're spending serious money. An interesting, and I'm going to come to you, Matt, in a minute. But um, you talked about Villa there, but I find it quite interesting his point about Dean Smith, and uh, he believed that Dean Smith, you know, Villa's a massive club, and Dean Smith, a manager like Dean Smith, which you know he was very unhappy they got Di Matteo. But he said to me, Dean Smith, you know, we didn't know about him before, but he's done very well at Brentford. And technically, he should just come to Brentford because they're a massive club and someone like Dean Smith should just take that chance. Um, and in effect, he's probably too big for a club like Brentford. Matt, Matt will finish this off because I know this is his point. And um, we spoke about this last week. But will Dean Smith go there? Will he be confident enough to go there? Because Dean Smith has been successful at Brentford because of the Brentford system. Will he be successful at uh, someone like Aston Villa in his own right? I don't think he's got that persona yet. I don't think I, I'm not. I'm not sure. And I may, you know, apologies to Dean Smith if I'm speaking massively out of turn. I don't think. I don't think he, he would have the confidence to go and take a club like that on. He's a coach at Brentford. Um, I think Villa fans will probably be looking for a, a dynamic manager. A match. Um, yeah, I'll try and I'll try and throw that point off, but I'm going to start slightly differently. And I'll start with um, what I think is interesting in Newcastle. And for me, I'm going to call it the Benitez factor because this is a this is a this is a coach that um, was was to be honest in his last period in English football was ridiculed um, by, by us in, in a couple of games. Um, and, and 
by his home supporters, Chelsea, um, etc. So, yet Newcastle have completely taken to this guy, and and that possibly tells you how bad things work and you know felt at Newcastle, and also this feeling that you know Benitez has come in and and shape, is shaping the club from the bottom up. So not just come in as a as as the head coach, but he somehow gets what's not going right in Newcastle. This is what, I'm, what I took from it. Um, and that does feed back to what you're saying about Dean Smith, because I think Villa are in a similar boat to Newcastle. And is, has Dean Smith got that Benitez aura where he can fix everything from the bottom up? Um, and and I, as I said last week, I, I'm not sure that is the job for Dean Smith. Um, you, you, you really don't have that time to, you know, to, um, to, to get yourself... Um, you know, you, you, just the fans won't give you the time. They won't as well, but the, the flip side of it is that at Brentford, Dean Smith doesn't need to fix it from bottom up because a lot of the other stuff is done for him. You know, and this is not a disrespect to Dean, so he just concentrates on the job. Because at Villa, it seems that that work ain't done. They just expect someone to come in and just, just all of them, next minute, they're just flying. That is the problem, I think, and I don't think they get this. They don't get that you actually need to fix the club to make the whole thing work. Yeah, which is exactly my point, is that Benitez, I think, has seen that, and, and I think the Newcastle supporters can see that to some extent. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of a head coach just being the coach, but there's something going on at Newcastle that seems to be a bit bigger than that um, with, with Benitez. But, yeah, exactly what, what we said last week is that Dean Smith's coming to Brentford, the foundations are in place, and he's coaching the football team, and that is what he does. And, yeah... Benitez was in the right place at the right time. I mean, full credit to him for what he's doing at Newcastle. But he said to Mike Ashley, who Newcastle's owner, he said to him this summer, you either do it my way or I'm, or I'm not out. And Benitez could have had a choice of any job in Europe, but he stuck with Newcastle. And credit to Benitez for doing that. But he managed to, he managed to catch Ashley at the right time as well because Ashley wanted, needed to do a good PR exercise. And the way he did it was by... Pointing, pointing Benitez, uh, and saying to him, "Right, yeah, you can have top, top to bottom control of the club," which he, which Ashley has, hasn't given previous managers like Steve McLaren or anybody a, ch- a chance to be able to do. But that's not taking away. I actually think that Benitez, uh, it's a really interesting experiment that's going on at Newcastle, and that's why I'm desperate to see them promoted because actually I think Benitez deserves full credit for having stayed with the club this summer. I think, I think Dean Smith would actually divide the Villa fans. I think um, half of them would see the bigger picture and think they need to be in a period of um, like growth and, 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 and looking at and approaching their resurrection in a different way. I also think there's half of them that go, Dean who? He was manager of Walsall and they'd be a- absolutely against him from day one. And also, the Benito thing, he had enough games. If he was a miracle worker, he had, he had, he had enough games to save Newcastle last year, did he not? Yeah, and, that, and that's spot on about the Villa fans, is that um, they... And, I, and this is referred to during, the, um, during this interview, is that, is that it's the same for them with the, with the player signings. Is that they want big names, um, and but maybe they're not the players to, to, to you know to, to get you success in the championship. I would argue that um, during our first year in the championship, 
you know, there were a lot of Brentford supporters that were looking for these big names, players that I would say were past it, whose names got put out there when they were available in a transfer window, etc. But I do think I think our fans have kind of moved on from that, and I do think they kind of and they get they get it more now. I'm not sure the Villa fans are anywhere near that. And that's why I say I've said it consistently: a successful past is sometimes a burden because you're always, always using that successful team as your benchmark. Sometimes you just need to wipe the slate clean and just do what's best and do what's right, and that isn't always harking back. And, 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 this, and it's interesting, I mean, we haven't mentioned Norwich that much as well, actually, but we've got to come to Norwich because uh, Jake, Jake's a great guy as well. Um, met Jake a couple of years ago when we went up to Norwich and, you know, hung out doing a lot of video stuff with him, a lot of video blogs. We swear video blogs, so check out his site. Um, uh, Talk Norwich City. But, Jake... Out of all them three fans, he was the most confident. He was kind of like, we know what we're doing, we've got the players, we're going to go up, we've got the manager, we're going to be there. And he was the most confident out of all of them, where you could see maybe it might with Newcastle because of the fact that they went down and they know that, you know, they lost their first couple of games. There's a bit of trepidation in, 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 in Kev's voice as to like saying, look, we're not going to sort of kind of, you know, we're not going to count our chickens before they're hatched. But it's almost like Norwich feel they're there already. Do you think there could be a bit of a banana skin on the way? Yeah, I, I wrote, I, when I was listening to it, I wrote down overconfidence. Um, I do think Norwich get, I, I do think they more than, certainly more than Villa, um, understand what their role is. You know, they, 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 they aspire to be a, a Premier League club. Um, but if that means dropping down to the championship, going back up again, but this, you know, that, and so be it. They're sticking by the manager. Um, I think they may underestimate this league. It'll be very interesting to be good because, because to be honest, you can almost be convinced by listening to this that actually Norwich and Newcastle are nailed on first and second. I'm not sure we're there yet. Norwich need a goal scorer. Norwich need a consistent goal scorer, which I don't think they've yet found. If if they are to if they are to go back up, um, because you look at their goal difference, it's uh, pretty it's pretty average, and I think what the Norwich are also Norwich are one of those teams that they're all expecting somebody like Huddersfield to or possibly Brighton and even Bristol City just to fade away, you know, as the season goes on. I have to say I'm not convinced that Huddersfield are necessarily the team that's going to disappear too quickly. Um, just, it was interesting as well. I mean, Ryan Pitcher, the Villa fan as well, and if you listen to him, he, he great guy as girl, if you speak to him, he's really level-headed and he especially has, 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 has cussed a lot of the, of the Villa fans for having this real negative attitude, especially against teams like Brentford, calling us tin pot and saying, you know, who the hell are you? He said, look, we deserve to be here because of our results. But also, if you listen as well, he's, he's really quite, almost like quite depressed. You say, are you enjoying your time in the, in the championship? And he's like, no. You know, it's actually a bit frightening. You know, we've dropped down here and it's a bit scary because... And it's really interesting because, obviously, most Villa fans, or all Villa fans, all they've known is the Premier. They've known that top division. So to come down to a division like this, they're like... Their one thought is that we need to get straight back up because this is a little bit like, you know, being dropped into a jungle somewhere and not knowing, you know, your route to get, get, get your way out, you know? That's, that's the scenario, and it's just kind of, well, hold on a second. Maybe actually being in the jungle is quite cool. Maybe if you, if you go around the corner there, you know, there's a couple of lions, a couple of, couple, of, couple, of, couple of monkeys and stuff like that. You can hang out with them, like, you know, got Tarzan in the corner. And, and it's actually a bit of a laugh if you actually sort of took your time to actually enjoy it because it seems to me they're spending so much time 
concentrating on trying to beat Newcastle and Norwich and all these other teams, they're not enjoying themselves. But this, this league is actually a laugh and they may have to get used to the fact they might be here for two or three or four or five years. And, you know, you can't do anything about that. And, you know, go to Rotherham and have a laugh. Go to Preston and have a right laugh. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what you do. I mean, you know, I mentioned I mentioned it again last week, and I, I apologise for people that do listen to it every week. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to go through that whole chapter and verse again. But Villa were in the third division in my lifetime, um, and they they they've resurrected. They've gone from League Three to European Championship and back to League Two, and now knocking on the door of League Three again. So football is cyclical. Um, Newcastle haven't been down to the League Three. No, um, we played them in League Two. Norwich have. Um, so you know, what goes around does come around. So the, the, these clubs aren't exclusive to the top flight, and um, you know, people of a certain age and a certain certain um, vintage will know that you know Villa have been away at Torquay and and Plymouth and Rochdale and, and where have you. So, um, you know, but looking at their stadium and looking at their trophy cabinet, you know, they're, they're, they're places at the top table, if I'm honest. No, 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 no. No club, no club is entitled to a place at the top table. And found, a member, found the members of the Football League. They've won, oh, they've won League Cups, FA Cups, nine league trophies, European Cups. I'm not, it's not their divine right to be there, but they 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 should be there. No, no, no dis, sorry, disagree. Disagree very strongly with that. No, should in it. I mean, you know, you the, the only the only reason you are entitled to be in the top league of English football is if you're a well-run club who plays decent football. Not we've never been in the top division. We've been in the lower division at the time, and we've seen this happen so many times. We've seen the Leeds and Sheffield United, and what's happened is that the clubs give it the arrogance the first season and the second season, more ramped in the same. By the third and the fourth and the fifth season, they're just the same as you because they just realise, actually, we're not going to get out of here and we need to come down to a different level, and, you know, and that's good. You know, and that's, that's just the way that they act. But anyway, listen... You can check out the full-length interview of this, like we said to you, on the Besotted channel, or go to besotted.co.uk. Check it out. We've got a little player on there, which is our Brentford Besotted player, which has got all our audio booms, all our podcasts on there, and this will be on there by the weekend. When you're going up to Newcastle or you're hanging out at home, check this out. A really, really interesting interview. Thank you very much, guys, for contributing to it. Hang the BJs back. Haven't had it for a few weeks, but today we thought... We're playing Newcastle. So we need to look back at one of our players. Any of our players play for Newcastle? And of course, there's only one player. Amazing, wicked time he had down at Brentford. Geordie Joe. The geezer scored in the Anglo-Italian Cup and he scored against Derby when they had or Gabbiadini and all sorts of people playing for them. Geordie Joe. Hi, um, uh, I'm Joe Allen. Geordie uh, Joe, as you know me. I've played for Newcastle United as a schoolboy from being nine-year-old when I was uh, 19 and a half I then left uh, went to um, Swansea City Hartlepool Chelsea and then became record signing at Brentford in 1992 93 I think it stood for um, just over eight eight nine years and I ended up with Hartlepool well Yeah, I mean, um, I was very, very flattered um, to, for Brentford to come in for me. And uh, Ken Bates was the chairman of Chelsea at the time. And he said, uh, 
we received uh, a bid for you that was accepted to go to Brentford. And I went, well, to be honest, Jim, I've got um, two years plus of my contract left and I got on really well with Ken Bates. And he just went, no, no, you're going to Brentford. And I went, well, <laughs> not really, because I'm... he went, oh, we pay you. We'll pay what you owe, what you, owe you in my contract. I went, okay, I'll go to Brentford then. And uh, <laughs> this fabulous little club, and I love Phil Hall and Will Frost. And, and um, they made me feel so welcome. They watched me a few times. And ironically, three days before I signed for, for the Bees, uh, Newcastle United were playing at Griffin Park. Um, I think it was a Sunday afternoon game and I was there live with uh, former Chelsea Newcastle goalkeeper Dave Peasant, otherwise known as Lurch. And we were in the uh, Newcastle away supporters head, just there uh, where the tunnel was. And I uh, watched the Newcastle Brentford game with the Newcastle strip on. And as, as I say, later in that week, I became record signing for the Brentford Football Club at the time. And um, we got off to a cracking start. Some great characters at the club at the time. Um, Terry Evans was our captain, and uh, Terry, uh, every bees knows him, every boy knows him at Brentford City. Uh, you know, you, you've got like uh, six foot sevens worth of pure power, and um, he was a character. He loved rock music uh, and he loved winning. And we had Keith Millen, who also played alongside him, who, you know, he had a great career in the game. But he was the, uh, the nice to Mr. Nasty, if you like. Uh, and they were good characters. Uh, very good friends with Chris Hooten, who was pulled back at the time. And to be honest, everybody at the club got on well. I mean, there was, um, there was Marcus Gale, who was outstanding winger. Little Billy Manuel, who was the biggest character that you'd ever see. Um, Brian Stearson. And... My good friend at Brentford at the time was my striking partner, Gary Blissett. And me and, me and Bliss hit it off uh, amazingly well on and off the park. I blame all the drinking that I ever done on him. But the good news was I didn't smoke. And I was still quicker than what he was. Uh, it, was it was a nice time and I was very, very proud to, to have that status of being that world's sign for so long. Yeah, so the most difficult opponent was obviously the, the first wife. Um, never get past that one yet. Um, the, the most difficult player that sticks out in a million miles was Paul McGrath. I played for uh, Aston Villa and Manchester United, Public Island National. And then you just thought you were past them. Uh, and then this leg would come out from like six foot and drag the ball back. And he was just a fantastic defender with all the injuries he had. And he played with to get to the standard and the level that he, he played at, you know, in World Cups and Euro Championships and, you know, winning leagues with Man United. Um, great player, best player I ever played with. And this is no disrespect to anybody because, I mean, I was very loyal. I had, I had eight clubs. Um, but the best forward I ever played with was Peter Beardsley, without Shalvet, a world class, absolute magician. Uh, could open a tin of beans with both feet. Um, a wonderful, wonderful footballer, but the greatest player I ever played with, and that was Paul Gascoigne by a million, million miles. Played together since we were nine years old, all the way through. By growing up with him for so long, um, I've seen him develop, and players have a, have a, a tendency to, to develop at different ages. 
And, you know, I was quite up there at 15 and 16. Not that I was the tallest at five foot ten, three quarters, but I was strong and I could put ball in the net. To see Gascoigne come through at 17, 18, uh, from going from being a pudgy little junior, if you like, to in 1990, in my opinion, the best player in the world at Italian 90. Uh, head and shoulders, playing against the lot of Matthias's, the Rude Hullets, and then standing his ground and actually affecting the games where England probably should have had the, the World Cup in the bag if it wasn't for them bloody penalties. I remember I come on the sub, I think, against Barnsley at home, getting mocked up Jerry Taggart. And Phil put us on, I said, I score, I scored. And then I had to come off within two minutes. And then it, that ended up being stretched out till the final game of the season, which, again, I was on the bench, but I was nowhere near fit. But I wanted to be involved just in case I could score a goal to, to Nibby's uh, keep were up. It was Bristol City away at Ashton Gate. We lost and got relegated. And that was the only time in the whole career that I got relegated. And I was absolutely devastated and mortified. That was the worst time ever. Because then fantastic Brentford supporters travelling back, seeing them in the droves. And we didn't deserve relegation, but it's a one of them where a player can say that. If you haven't got as many points as what other teams have, then you deserve it. But at Christmas, I think everybody was looking. I remember playing against Derby over the Christmas period. I think it was Boxing Day. And Derby were a good, good side. And we battered them. And, um, and I scored, and Neil Smiley scored. And it was like, wow, you know, we're taking these on here. We've got a good feeling about things. And to, to go on such a decline was, uh, yeah, it was really good. Anglo-Italian Cup, oh my God, the memories of that was brutal. Um, we're playing, we're obviously in the, the English, well, I don't know what the business call them these days. We're in the championship, so we're the equivalent of the championship then. We went in the top flight, we're in Division 1. Um, and we played against the teams from the Italian second division, which is in comparison to the English second division, if you like. It's a better way of putting it, I think. And uh, it was absolute war. I, I couldn't believe the first game that we ever played at, uh, at Griffin Park. Within 30 seconds, I've had a look, and, and Bliss has took one off an elbow from the centre-half, who looked as if he could have been in uh, The Godfather. And I'm looking at the geezer that's marking me, and I'm thinking, I've got to get one in on him quick. And this is two minutes into the game. And I was thinking, wow, is this what goes on in Italy? And sure enough, it was it was a battle every game. And I think there was, in the competition, uh, up and down where the Portsmouths and whatever were playing, people that were in the, in the games, the footballers, there was five and six sendings off, you know, in, the, in this competition. And it was a case of like, oh, we're going to have a like, like, little friendly competition against a, a foreign country. Oh, my God, it was like rollerball. But it was great, and I loved it, because I think I scored in most of the rounds. Ended up saying, scoring the, that winner at Cesena playing in Italy, which I found very, very novel, you know, just off the Rimini coast, to be going there and representing Brentford and... And we had a fabulous time because it was late on. But we played Derby in the semi-final at uh, Griffin Park. Um, so you, you got drawn against 
your England's whoever was top two in the English division sort of thing. Uh, and we got Derby and had the multi-million pound players, two and a half million pound shorts and two and a half million Gabbiadini's, two and a half million Kitsons, you know, and we absolutely like went out there and did not perform whatsoever. Uh, it was, <laughs> we were getting beat, I think, 3-0 in the first 20 minutes. Uh, and it was terrible. But I remember scoring just before half time to give her a little sniff and then ended up, I got three and we got, got we got back to 3-3 three, three. and Derby scored a late winner which was there a weird goal um, invariably there was a second leg at the baseball ground and we ended up and went out on the away goal through the, the fact that the, the finals at Wembley was something that was gutted by everybody in the squad everybody at the club because we wanted that Wembley appearance and good news is that um Derby got to the final. I think they played Bari in the last 4 0. So good luck to them. So there was a punch thrown in training one day at the training ground, and I was on the receiving end of it. Would I invite Mickey Bennett for dinner? Of course I would. Football, gee, in the game where we played it, I think things happen, whether it's your teammates, uh, whether it's the opposition. You know, it's always been a physical game and you wouldn't like to go on bleating about it. Uh, incidents happen, incidents happen in training, you know, it's, it's a one of them. You're either on the, the wrong end of it or you're on the right end of it. But invariably, I think if you find 90% of injuries um, that come with players playing professional football through the years, it'll happen in training. And it's only because it's a passion. And, you know, people think, oh, you just turn up and shake hands with everybody every day. Go and play football professionally for a living, especially when you get the 15, 20 years of it. It's a war every day, and you go to war. And sometimes you have to go to war against your teammates, because that means that on a Saturday, you're going to be going to war together. And that's probably the best way of putting it. Um, and that's just one of them things. No hard feelings. So the tune that reminds us most of uh, Brentford and, and the happy times that I had there, um, it would have been, believe it or not, uh, Come On Eileen, because um, Kevin Rowland, the uh, lead singer of Dexy's Midnight Runners, used to be a, a frequent member and a fan uh, of the Bees. But I'm not going for that, Kevin. Sorry about that. I'm going for uh, Guns N' Roses and Sweet Child of Mine because um, the abiding memory of walking into the dressing room his record signing with Terry Evans standing there, star bollock naked, uh, playing the air guitar, and it wasn't the air guitar he was playing it with, and it was to the song of Sweet Child of Mine. It's been a long time. I wish you very, very well. I had a lovely, lovely time. And very, very proud of being uh, at Brentford Football Club. Um, and But the, to be record signing showed great faith in me. Um, I love the fans. And I hope you very, very well. Come on, you bees. After Saturday, of course. Because the tune are in tune. Have a safe journey. We'll see you all again.
songs, atmosphere, and fans in the ground. If you listened to last week's podcast, which we had great fun doing last week's podcast at the old Pack Horse in Chiswick, and we got into the stage, we talked about atmosphere, atmospheric grounds, and is it different, is it not so different? You know, should football fans actually be singing original songs rather than singing the same old thing? Oh, we started to come out with all sorts of songs, we were singing them around the table as well, and uh, had a really great laugh. And the funny thing is as well, as you go back, social media is great, you come back and people were reacting to us on social media saying, I can't believe you said, you, you forgot that song. I can't believe you didn't say mention that song. And, and, we have to say to you, a lot of them were actually on our list, but we were sort of bombing our way through so much that we did few, leave a few of them off. But as we've got a bit of time today, you know, we mentioned a couple of them as well. One of them is the Marcus Gale song, as we remember the Marcus Gale. And we'll be talking about Marcus Gale a little bit later in the podcast now, but the Marcus Gale song was a massive track in the early 90s as well. And uh, as the song goes, uh, Marcus is a little bit like, you know, and, and probably there's a bit of a stereotypical thing going on there. So whether or not this song will be sung now, but it was quite a funny song back in the day. And Marcus did react to it as well, as Marcus Gale has got a massive um, dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a, you should have seen it. Marcus Gale has got a massive, as we say, well, as you open a bottle of wine, a massive cork, you take out a massive cork from the bottle of wine, isn't it? You know, what a lot of people don't know is that song was actually taken from one of our Falkirk tricks back in the day, where the Brentford crew used to go up to Falkirk 20, 20 odd years ago when a load of Brentford fans, Brentford players went to play for Falkirk. And as you do, we decided to go up to Falkirk as well and go and see them. Tony Parks, uh, Richard Cadet, and another one was Eddie May. And that was actually Eddie May's song, the Falkirk song for Eddie May. Eddie May has got a massive cork. It sounds really bad, actually. I might have to beep a few things out here. But that was a song that the Falkirk fans used to sing. And we just basically transposed it to a Brentford player. And it just happened to be Marcus Gale. But we'll go on as well, like, you know. Somebody mentioned the supermarket, Sean. You remember that one? Yeah, Mark McCallum. Um, yeah, he was, he was terrible. Um, but the, the one that we think, you know, you were talking about the... Um, the song, though, it goes, how's it go? Super, super mark, supermarket trolley. That's the one. But you were talking about like going back to the gory days where the hooliganism. We didn't mention this. All the Watford rookery had blood upon their faces, all because they tried to take the New Road Brentford Aces. <laughs> right. How about the Ealing Roadhead cases? The lads, you should have seen us coming. Geordie song. Absolutely, yeah, it's got residents. We can sing that this weekend, you know, that's right, yeah. All the Watford rookery with blood upon their faces, but all because they tried to take the Ealing Road cases. And again, we're going to come back to this as well because. A lot of songs not, use... Not that we condone violence. No, what I was saying to you, a lot of songs that used to sing, they used to sing the songs, and you look back at it now, and like I said to you, uh, football is actually so clean in comparison to that. You know, we talked about, like I said to you, you know, he, he's, he's only a poor little Fulham. We, we, he, his face is all tattered and torn. He makes me feel sick, so I hit him with a brick. I, mean, I listened to that, and I thought, oh, my God. Like, you know, ratchets and hammers, carving knives and spanners. There was that song as well. Coming back to another Newcastle song at the time, um, obviously uh, Kevin Keegan, a Fulham manager as well. So whether or not we sang it, it was Fulham or Newcastle, but it was that, you know, hit him on the head, hit him on the head with a baseball bat. Keegan, Keegan. You listen to it and you think, why? Well, I mean, I know it had to do with something to do with... Yeah, something to do with the label. Yeah. 
like eBay or something like that. But you, but the thing is that you don't actually know if this was ever true. If somebody just made it up, in a court of law, this is all alleged. Absolutely ridiculous as well. Um, somebody talked about my old man said be a Fulham fan, so we said mm, 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 no. <laughs> Basically, we said no, not interested. We just talked about that. So, so, and like I said to you, also. Brentford fans will know this. Other fans will be listening, thinking, "What are these guys on again?" They've obviously been drinking far too much prior tonight, and they're all over the place. But um, we had a trend where we actually uh, a trend, <laughs> so trend, isn't it? But we actually uh, used to take chomp gut bars to, to football matches. Uh, it was started off by um, Adam Scary Kerry, who's probably listening now. Who bought a couple of chomps? He thought this is brilliant. He picked them up and he handed it out to a few of us. And every time Brentford scored, we used to throw them on the pitch. And it started off with two, three, or four, or five. But then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger till eventually everyone started to bring chomp bars to the ground. And every time Brentford scored, they used to throw chomp bars onto the pitch and it was like avalanches of chomps. Yeah, so the, the, the volume of chomps got bigger, not the actual size of a chomp got bigger. Because if, if a chomp got bigger, it would make it a curly-whirly. <laughs> so it got bigger and bigger and everyone was doing it every week. And the song, if you remember the song, was... Chomp, 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 Good old Brentford, yeah, it's the team for me. Score a goal, throw a chomp, it only cost 10p. <laughs> so, like I said, this guy's. We're just bringing it back, like, you know, but, the, but we'll just have to mention the story as well. But I've got to say this because at the time, it was all kicking off quite badly. So, I actually wrote to Chomp, and I'm going to dig this letter out and I can see if I can put it on beside it. I wrote to Chomp and I said, look, it's all. It's, dear Mr. Cabri, it's all kicking off down at Brentford at the moment now, and Chomp's really famous. Can you possibly send me some chomps down so that we can sort of kind of like promote chomps? What I'm saying. That's right. And you turned up on the terrace with boxes of these chomps. They said I'd open my door, right, and they sent about like 2,000 box chomps down. It was like absolutely my hallway was filled up with chomp bars. So there's this one game, and we played Bradford City. So I turned up, and by this stage, right, I said the police, right, I was like under a sort of police alert. So I was under police alert, so the police were watching out for me, like, you know, because apparently I was like the chomp man. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, sort of like somebody's like bringing chocolate to games and he was like under de- police de- alert. Dealing de- 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 chomp uh, very seriously. Absolutely. So what, so what I did is that I got these box of chomps, I put them in the new inn, I remember, and I was like handing them out to people. So people are coming in, I was like going, like, here's 50, here's 30, here's 100. And people are taking these chomps and just putting them under their coats. So they got them into the ground. That's brilliant. So I walked in, I, I know, they searched me and I had no chocolate. I was fine, I was saying. So in the end, Brentford won 6-1 against Bradford. It was an absolute deluge. Like, literally, it was chocolate everywhere. The headline in the news of the world was Chocky Horror Throw. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, Brentford fans have been, like, ejected from... I actually got thrown out that game because uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why, what I had done, but I think they probably realised that I was the one that was distributing chocolate that game as well. So that was quite funny, but... Talking about <laughs> thrown out the ground for distributing chocolate. I mean, it just goes to show how football is like. Just kind of just, now that like they're worried about people with smoke bombs, but like back in the day it was chocolate. In fact, and this is a, a totally and utterly true story. The following week we played Birmingham City after that Bradford game, and I didn't go to that game because it was I think it was Easter weekend. I went away for Easter, everything like that, and so and apparently. As everyone was coming through the turnstile... Your bail hadn't come through. <laughs> people were coming through the turnstiles and everyone was being searched, right? Somebody said to me, they heard a policeman say, I can't believe we're searching people for chocolate. 
but, but the question, were you allowed, I don't think I went to the game, so were you allowed to be in possession of a Mars bar but not a chomp bar? And what was Milky Way? We also called you Billy Wonka. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That, remember, there was a couple of kids, actually, because we had our crew of about sort of 50, 60, 70 of us on the new route at the time, and uh, there was a couple of kids that tried to sort of start a splinter group, and they started to bring boosts down, which we, we weren't happy with that at all. Like, you know. But we move on atmosphere. Because, that's right. Uh, um, atmosphere. We're talking about atmosphere as well, because Newcastle is up in the gods. We have to f- climb 14 flights of stairs to go to Newcastle. Kevin Miles is going to talk about this later. But the fact is that we're talking about this because it's a bit of a bit of a thing for us as well. Because for us, you know, we're moving to Lionel Road in a few years, and there's word that the away fans are going to be placed somewhere in a corner somewhere, not behind the goal. Which I'm not particularly happy with myself. But you know, it's not only about myself. It's like this is my personal opinion. But other people might say that's fine because some people might say we don't want to give them an advantage. You put them behind the goal they start singing that gives them an advantage but I actually believe that away fans contribute to the atmosphere of games and they actually spark the home fans and we have a bit of a problem at Brentford sometimes where we're not singing enough I don't think and I think that if we had like the hate corner as it was called back in the day it wasn't because there was hatred there it was just that's just what we used to call it there was a brilliant vibe between that because we were there to the, the, the away fans it sparked it all off and we were teams would come down there say we hate going to Brentford because the atmosphere is absolutely electric and we don't necessarily get that electric atmosphere the whole time and there's things that should do but Newcastle the fans of the gods I mean that's just totally wrong isn't it yeah I mean anyone as I said earlier has got afraid of heights apparently there's Sherpas as you get halfway up if you can't if you can't manage to carry yourself the rest of it there's donkeys and all kinds of sorts that will take you to the summit of um, St James's Park um, there's tents up there from failed missions for the summit from years ago. There's people stuck in the permafrost up there. But I, I do, I, I like, I do agree with what you say about hate corner. But I, part of me does think that's a little bit lower league and a little bit wanky. And it's a bit Peterborough, I call it, where you encouraging fans just to shout abuse at the away fans for the whole game rather than getting behind the team. I think before you say that, I, I don't, I'm not actually saying that. All I'm saying is that us being in that that zone just sparked us to sing. And, and the fact is that we didn't necessarily spark abuse at them. We just seemed to sing more because we were nearer to them. I, 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 I think you're right, but I, I don't. I think having a, a singing end, a whole end, is is, is more powerful. It's a more powerful weapon. And I think when when there was when the, when the stadium was only a third full. You needed to cram people together, and if you if you could cram your most vociferous fans against your away support, then you were going to spark some atmosphere. So I think it works, and I do I do I did did enjoy those days, and I do kind of hark back to them sometimes. But if we, if we could just get some atmosphere from our whole away a whole sorry a whole home end, it would be it would be more beneficial. The answer is is that though football has changed since we were young um, and younger, all right, for, for some people raising objections, is it costs money to go to football now um, and it's money that a lot of people don't have. And I think actually what's more worrying is that the atmosphere was created by the is created by the say 15 to 25 year olds you know and actually if you're age 15 to 25 going to football is quite week in week out is quite an expensive experience 
Um, and the demographics of the game are changing. And it, it worries me is that that's why we're losing the atmosphere. Uh, because we've all, we've all laughed and joked about the songs that we used to sing when we were young. But we didn't have quite the debts that young people also go on now. I mean, and we ourselves have, you know, have got older, have got mortgages, have got car loans, have got, you know divorce settlements not in my case but in other people's case it's possible to, to, to pay it just doesn't it do, doesn't work the same way um, and I so therefore if you create a singing section and want singing sections the only way to do that is actually by reducing the prices so that you encourage people to to join in I'll move on to the atmosphere at Newcastle when we talk about the Newcastle game because I've big concerns about what will happen on Saturday um, and it's interesting again because we're talking about this this atmosphere thing, and especially at Brentford, um, which again we're moving to Lionel Road, and we want to make sure it's right. And I know that everyone that's working on the project wants to make sure it's right. But I think that sometimes presumptions are made. Now we've been to lots of different grounds, we've gone to these new grounds, and things haven't quite been quite right. A lot of it's got to be due to with um, you know there's all seater stadium stuff like that. But also part of the problem is, and I think one of the issues people are talking about is West Ham. So you look at West Ham as a prime example. You've got West Ham who's moved from the bowling ground, Rupton Park, if you want to call it. They moved to this new stadium, bigger capacity, and all of a sudden, like, you know, the, the new supporters, you don't look as they want to call them the tourists, but they've come in, they've mixed in, and it isn't quite right now. The question I'm going to say to you is that how, how being creative, not being negative, going, oh, no, but how, being creative, how can you actually kind of make this work at Griffin Park? You know what I'm saying? How can you make this work? And to me, I'm thinking that, there are a core of people who do or will or can sing. The problem, as we've said beforehand, weeks beforehand, is that when you start getting new people infiltrating in, it kind of dilutes that atmosphere and it makes it more difficult. So should the club be looking at something like now, looking at the people who have been supporting the club for ages, supporting them for a while, and putting them in and getting them together? So when we're looking to move forward at a new stadium, they're in the same place. You know what I'm saying? So what happens is that you are putting the core of people and keeping them together wherever they go. Whereas uh, what you normally get is you get a situation of, being, oh no, we've got, we got to fill 20,000 seats. So what you do is that you sign up anybody, put everybody anywhere and it goes horribly wrong, which has happened at West Ham. Maybe you'll be looking at a sort of kind of like a, a connoisseurs or the, the old school um, um, club or whatever you may call it, where fans have been supporting and have been members for three or four or five or eight or ten years, you come in and you know you're going to be all in there together. Maybe this is being a little bit too controlling. And I agree entirely with that, uh, Bill, but also um, harking forward to next Tuesday is Derby have very good... One end at Derby, they give half, or in our case it will probably just be a third of, the, of one end to us, and they have a small gap, not a vast gap, and then they have Derby singing section a, a net, alongside the away fans, and that actually does create a bit of an atmosphere in the stadium. I'm trying to desperately rack my brains as I sit here and thinking about if there are any other away fans. It happened a bit at Ro- it happens at Rotherham as well. But the answer, Huddersfield. Huddersfield sorry, Huddersfield. Yeah, Huddersfield. Thank you. That's what you do. Is if you mix home fans in the same end with away fans, with with a bit of segregation, which is sadly still probably needed, then you start to create an atmosphere in the stadium, or at least to think about an atmosphere. Bristol City as well, they do it. But just to let you know. 
the new stadium, that isn't going to happen. The, the idea at the moment now, unless it gets changed. Well, well let's let's see if we can change it. Let's see if we can. Actually, my recollection of Derby is they put you in a corner, um, the same as a yeah, they do. You're not you're 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 you're, you're in a top you're in a top corner, um, but but there are the so then you've got the Derby away end directly to your left. And I, thought, I don't think it's that dissimilar to Middlesbrough, to be honest. Um, apart from Derby is more of a you know the corners are more of an oval so so I, th- I think they kind of do put you in a corner really at Derby but it might feel like it's more of an end um, it's a really difficult thing this um, and the West Ham situation scares me because, really because because Upton Park to the Olympic Stadium in terms of size jump percentage size jump is not dissimilar to Griffin Park to to where we're going to go um, in terms of how many you know how many fans you gain and um, and it's like how do and, and I think this should come from the supporters I'm not I, I always think that the club should accommodate it but not be the people that organise it if you, do you know what I mean I, I, I think that you know it should be about accommodating things without actually trying to force things because I think when the club tries to force things I think that's when it kind of doesn't work really so I, I think some clubs when they move stadium they use it as an opportunity to dilute the people, the fans that cause them the most grief, which is their long-suffering ones. And I, and I, and I think that West Ham are trying to... They, they would love it if they could fill that stadium with new fans that jumped up and down a bit. Um, they were almost like London tourists than the, than the proper hammers, the, the, the proper East End blood and... The heart and soul of that club, I think they would they would be quite happy if they drifted off into the sunset because they're the ones that they're, they're the ones that ask awkward questions. They're the ones that need to be looked after, and they're mixing them with people that just want to turn up and watch Premiership games, like like the Fulham tourists, you know. So so I I think that um, some some fans owners don't appreciate their long term fans the tradition they they, they, they cry they crow on about it as if like this baton that's been passed through the generations is a brilliant thing to be celebrated but I, I think that some of them secretly would just be quite like it if they were like cinema goers and, and, and I think you're you're right there and also it doesn't necessarily mean that these people are people in their 30s 40s 50s and 60s because you also may have young fans who have that same mentality and they think actually we want to get rid of this these people in this mentality and we want people oh, to people, come people with an opinion yeah. we yeah. don't want people to just to come here and just kind of buy stuff and just come in sit down shut up and go away but, but the problem that you get is that if they try that and they're going to do that if you're not careful you get Cardiff City Cardiff look at Cardiff City absolutely that, that, that they killed that geezer right well done mate you absolutely killed that club now you go there it's got I mean I didn't particularly like going to Cardiff before but it had a vibe to it you know what I'm saying people came there good support used to support their club really well and now you go there it's dead it's horrible they're away fans I think they've got the second or the lowest of Rips, literally rips the heart out of that club. Literally ripped it out. Hang, hang on, hang on. You're harking back to the good old days of when... No, 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 when Cardiff were... were Car- Cardiff, Cardiff were really... 
No, we're not sticking up for that. Because then you say the same thing about Millwall and West Ham and all these other clubs. Yeah, well, you, you need you need to you, there's, there's a careful there's a careful line, line to tread, and I'm not I'm not I'm not encourage I'm not, you know I don't think we should be seen to be encouraging the violence of the game, which is what we're not doing. We're saying that they've they've changed the colour of their shirts from blue to red. They've got rid of the blue bird, which is their symbol. They've 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 made the people that were at Ninian Park for a whole generation, two generations, three generations, feel like they are not part of the club anymore. That we're not talking about the hooligan element at talking, all. We're, we're talking about that there's a very good chance of talking about the four people around this table. Because if Brentford decided they were gonna, you know, play in blue or change their name or something like that, would we be would we go? It's not. It is. It is. It is the. You know, like you say, the heart. And we know. I know Cardiff had trouble, but there's a lot of people there that you know that that will not go. We're not celebrating the gratuitous side of it. We're celebrating uh, um, a part of a community where your club, your town, or your city, wherever wherever it is you live, your football club is an integral part of your identity. The minute you screw with that, the minute you fuck that up. You, you, it, 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 take, it could take three generations to to, to, to to win back. Or if you do it wrong, like in Cardiff, like almost at Hull, you, if, if you get it wrong, you make the club without its real hardcore fans, it could die. I mean, big, 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 big debate this. And it, as you can hear, that we can't really get any real answers because it's a much bigger debate. We keep on trying to crowbar it in every podcast. We're even going to talk about PAs and stadium music, but it doesn't really fit in now. So. We'll probably come back to this another time, but of course, we want to talk about atmosphere and crowds now because there were some the crowds were announced, the away fan crowds were announced recently, a couple of weeks ago, for the championship of this season. And there's actually some pretty amazing figures in there. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, teams like Cardiff, we talk about Cardiff, who are right down the bottom there, obviously lost their vibe, fans don't travel, but QPR and Fulham as well, not travelling at all, which is pretty amazing. And Brentford haven't done too bad. Um, our average crowd is just under a thousand. Our average away crowd is just under a thousand. As we said, it'd be interesting if you can actually match your away crowd to your home fans, because obviously, like our home fans are roughly about nine and a half thousand. So the percentage of away travellers to home travellers is like you know one in ten for Brentford, which is uh, which is not a bad figure at all. Like you know, but Laney, I mean, you're looking at these figures, and uh, it's pretty some pretty interesting figures out there, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, some of them are. Some of them, I would say, are quite predictable. You would expect Villa and Newcastle and Leeds to be up there and Wolves. So, what, what, I mean, what are Villa and Newcastle? What, what are they getting? So, so according to the table, after the first five games, Aston Villa were averaging. This is an average away attendance of three thousand four hundred and seventeen, which makes you makes you realise that the fixture list must have allowed them to have. Um, uh, the capacity to, to accommodate that, you know, if, if Brentford and Burton were one of those um, five, then that average would be a, a lot, lot lower because it, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't accommodate those those fans. Um, Fulham and QPR, I think QPR have certainly played at Burton, so that might bring down their their, their average. But for them to be bottom um, and Fulham and QPR, what's their crowds? Um, Fulham is averaging 527, which is pretty much half of what we are. And, and, and I say, I, I say, without being without being resorting to bravado, is embarrassing. I think though QPR have played at Fulham, which when you're talking about six or seven games, 
um, and working out an average, that you know, there's potential to take a lot of people to Fulham. So you would think that that would that that would push that up. Yeah. That, was the Fulham game at the end because was this done before the Fulham game or, or after it? Uh, oh, that's a very good point. So the Fulham game was on the Saturday, the first of October. Because this was the first five games of the season, I think. First five games or first five ways. Okay. First five away games. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yes. Okay. So that gives them Cardiff, Barnsley, Wigan, Huddersfield, Burn. They probably didn't set out of Burn, so I, I think that probably didn't come into it. There's a few anomalies in here as well, though. You I mean there's, you know, again, you maybe maybe this is explained by having um, like very local matches, but we just looked up Rotherham's fixtures. They're averaging 1,503 as their away fans, which I, I say is a bloody decent away following. And they, they've played Brighton away, and they've, oh, they've had Blackburn and Barnsley, which are fairly local to them, but, you know, and Aston Villa. So, they, you know, that's, that's quite, a, quite a good following. They don't, they don't bring that to Brentford, so it makes you wonder that, you know, sometimes being in the Midlands and up north, it, it really does help your away fans because you turn up at a, um, a, a train station like Sheffield and you see where you can get to from there and how cheap it is to get to those places so you know being an away fan up north it, it is easier I, I do have to say and this is a, a side issue that South London is not as funky as West London <laughs> it's true actually yeah uh, last week if you listened to the podcast at the, uh, the old pack horse we had a lot of funk going on there and uh, the music selection here is uh, it's less funky, you know what I'm saying? And, and but, but more of my generation. Ah, well, you know, that's all right. We actually, that's why we came south of the river because we wanted to please the liberal. But anyway, let's move ahead and let's look at talking about music, talking about us sitting in the pub drinking, talking about being social. We're going to talk about the besotted socials. So every week we, we sit in the pub, we get a few beers. We talk about football, we get more beers, we start chuckling, we start laughing, we have a right good laugh. There's music in the background, sometimes it's funky music, sometimes it's Nick's music, the liberal, and sometimes it's just no music at all. But whatever it is, it's basically a social evening. And we, 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 we've been talking about this for about a couple of years now. We thought, how do we kind of recreate this with Brentford? How can we just kind of have social events and just people coming out, sitting, talking about Brentford, you know, you know, and events all around Brentford. You know, how can we do this? And we racking our brains, and eventually, we come down to it. And we just thought, listen, the besotted social, and we finally actually pulled a little itinerary together. And the besotted social is actually in the calendar, which is actually very exciting, isn't it? It's the besotted social club. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about it's about kind of connecting with like-minded souls. You know, we've we've um, over the last three or four seasons, our, our Twitter has become pretty prolific for a club of our size. We're getting on for ten thousand followers. The views on the website are massive. The uh, the listens to the podcast uh, kind of blow us away sometimes. So you know, wh- whatever we're doing, people seem to be connecting with us and and, and, and liking it. So so what we what we're going to do is kind of reach out and kind of bring people in people that think the same way and like what we do and just 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 decent decent bees folk we're gonna try and put on some evenings with some ex-Brentford players um, in some venues put some comedians into the mix and some magicians probably and we're just gonna add a bit of music, music DJs music entertainment 
beer, food, just, just I don't know, just whatever. I mean, people can throw it into the pot. It just doesn't really matter. It's just all about entertainment, about, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about adding a little bit more than the football, right? So, you know, football can be... Can can be a bit nasty, you know. You you can you can pin your whole day or your whole life around the game, and it lets you down. So we're going to keep football out of football on this one. We're going to the, the game itself. We're going to get the fans together, and we're going to we're going to put on a bit of a bit of a shindig, bit of a knees up. That's right, just a bit of a laughing. So we've got three dates, and excuse me, but I'm, I've got the wasabi's and the wasabi's in this place are absolutely killing. Properly up the nose they are. So the wasabi, I'm going to have, to have a drink of a pride. Ah, oh, that's better. So anyway, listen, we've got three days. want you to put them in your diary. The first date is Wednesday, the 2nd of November. This venue's going to be in Brentford. Wicked new new venue in Brentford as well. The, the, the second date is Friday, the 16th of December in Chiswick. And this is a wicked, wicked, wicked venue. I, I can guarantee you pre, pretty much none of you have ever been to this place before. It's very unique. And this is going to be a hot ticket. And we're limited capacity on, the, on this one as well, uh, on, this, the, on this venue. And the third venue, put it in your diary, is Sunday, which is a bank holiday Sunday, the day after the Fulham game. Bees up, Fulham down. The 30th of April as well. Bank holiday It's going to be our end of season party. So the 16th of December, Christmas party. 30th of April is the end of season party and it's going to be wicked. We've got this venue already sorted out and it's going to be great. And hopefully the sun's going to be out and everyone's going to really enjoy it. Again, that's a hot ticket because with these places, it's been really hard for us to get these places. Lovely places, but they're all very limited capacity. I'm really excited about the 2nd of November, if I'm really honest with you. I, I know we've got three... It looks like we've got three properly iconic Brentford players who are going to come down for this one. I think Terry Evans is confirmed. Ija Anderson, who is a brilliant Brentford left-back. And um, we've also got... Um uh, Marcus Gale, Marcus Gale, who said, "Don't sing the song." Marcus Gale, don't sing the song. And I, I, sorry for my confusion, because I'm I'm holding one big name back. One one of them, it looks like he's going to confirm. And if if we can if we can get these four together, it's going to be monumental. Plus, you know, there's a couple of irons we've got in the fire. Um, it's a few more surprises to come. So second of November, get that in your diary. I'll be acting like a fanboy on 2nd of November. Ija I, 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 Anderson is my favourite Brentford player ever. It was great, and hopefully we get to him to talk about the fact that he pulled his pants down at Cambridge when we won the trophy, and he had the cup and all sorts of stuff as well. Like I said to you, the Friday the 16th of December, we've actually got, pretty much got the players confirmed for that as well. There's four, possibly even five, if we decide to bring another one in. Brentford legends, they're proper hardcore. Wicked as well, it looks like it's a wicked night. We're already booking, booking in for the 30th of April, and we're getting all sorts of different characters in. So listen... We want you to sign up for this. So what you need to do is go to a besotted website. There should be a little page there, hopefully up by tomorrow, if not by the weekend, which you can actually go in there and put your name and address and all your details. You get the information straight away, a little form for the besotted socials. If not, email besotted1992 at gmail.com for now. And then we'll just put you on the list and then we'll get you the information out when, when we're going to do. Well, hopefully it'll be set up by events at besotted.co.uk. That's the, that's the one as well. That's, that's the one that we're going to do it at. But listen, guys... Besotted social, wicked. Basically, just come down the pub, have some beers with us. We're just we're gonna, we're going to do all the hard work. We want all you guys to just come down, like-minded people, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you know, if you've got an attitude and you, you want to, you know, just don't come. And if, if you just want to, if you want to get on with people, you're more than welcome. So big game on Saturday, and three thousand bees are making their way up north to Newcastle 
the whole place. There's no one left in, 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 in Brentford at all, TWA. So if you want to go and get some TVs or, or nick things from people's houses, that's the time to do it this weekend. So we're going up to Newcastle. And uh, Brentford have been on a reasonably decent run as of late, and everyone's a little bit confident that we might go up there and get something. But we know nothing about Newcastle. They were up in the Premier League last season, and that is just up in the heady heights of somewhere else. So we thought instead of us making it up, we'll go up to ask a Geordie exactly what's going down in Newcastle. Kevin Miles, how are you doing? Very well. I'm looking forward to Brentford's visit. That's right, mate. We're very much looking forward to it. Most most people are staying at least one night, if not two nights, up there. So, so there'll be a mixture of red and white and black and white up there. So, do you think you can uh, you can take that mesh up there? Do you think? Well, the red and white stripes have never been a particularly strongly welcomed um, colours in Newcastle, but I think once it becomes clear it's Brentford, not Sunderland, you'll be absolutely fine. That's it's right. uh, one of the occasions where a Cockney accent's going to be a real saver, actually, in Newcastle. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll practice my Cockney accent because we're not actually real Cockneys. We're pretend Cockneys. We're from the other side of London. I think you find if you're south of Durham, you can't qualify as a Cockney from where we come from. That's right, that's right, man. So listen, I know that so many Newcastle fans are actually dreading the drop. But I mean, I know that you've been enjoying your time in the championships so far. Um, what's that? Well... I mean, I, I was one of the people that didn't want to go down either. I don't think anybody has it as an ambition to get relegated. But there's not so many positives about the championship. Um, apart from the fact we seem to be winning more games than we were last season, um, which is always a bit of a bonus, it's 23 places that we haven't been to recently, uh, with the exception of Villa and Norwich, who we were there last season, obviously. Everywhere else is places that we weren't at last season. And some places we've just never been to before. We've never been to Burton Albion before. Um, we were in Rotherham last week, and that was the first time that we've um, played in their new stadium. So it's you know there's plenty of stuff that's different. We tend to get bigger ticket allocations. Uh, we get to go a lot of places in numbers. We've got five and a half thousand sold out for a midweek game in Barnsley next week. We're taking six six and a half thousand to Preston the week after. So, you know, it's a, it's a good vibe. It's nice going to them places. It's a huge game for Brentford this week. Coming from Newcastle, and everybody thinks, you know, everybody looks, seems to be looking at the fixtures and sitting on Newcastle. That's a big one to look forward to. And that's very flattering because that doesn't always happen with us. We know it's a great city to come and visit for a weekend. It's definitely worth staying a night or two. That's one thing we're very, you know, very good at. I hope you don't get the points, but hey, you never know. It's not exactly Fortress St. James as you do. I mean, you played a few games. You've been pretty much. Every game so far this season. Which games have you enjoyed the most? Uh, QPR away. That was fantastic. Uh, Tuesday night in London is always a giggle anyway. Midweek matches away from home, a long way through the miles to travel. It's, it's always good. But when you win 6-0 at a place where we haven't had a lot of joy over the last couple of years, that was a real treat. And that was um, that stands out, obviously. I mean, it's, it's hard not to enjoy a game when you win 6-0 away from home, but that mixture of uh, the, the beauty of West London and uh, you know the, the Tuesday night atmosphere, tight little ground, close to the pitch, you know, sold out from our point of view, and then uh, a result like that. Yeah, it was a great night. Nice. Excellent. And I mean, obviously we're we're very happy with, with your result at QPR as well, and uh, it actually sort of seems to have spiraled them into a sort of state of permanent depression this season. Actually, after having sort of a reasonably decent start as well to the season. We were delighted to everybody. It was, it, it was amazing how popular beating uh, QPR 6 0 turned out to be with so many people. Actually, we had some Fulham fans that were quite appreciative of it as well. And I know it went down well with Brentford fans. And 
the season's not been bad. It's been good on the road. You know, particularly we've got, we've had some decent results. We've won some games away from home. Benitez has got the team quite well organised. They actually seem to be uh, doing better away from home than they are at home. They seem less nervous. We've got some work to do before I think we're, you know, really confident. The best home game for me has been Norwich, and that, but that was because of the way it ended. It wasn't because of the way we played. You've got to remember that in the 94th minute, we were losing 3-2 at home to Norwich. It hadn't been great up to last point. But well, the last yeah. two minutes of injury time were fantastic. That's cool. Listen, and what I'll do as well, because we know pretty much every decent pub to go to in every ground in this league. So uh, I'll give you that info as well that you can pass on to your Newcastle mates so that you're not ended up in the, the you know, the, the pub that the police sent you to, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you want a little bit of an alternative. So uh, I could do that. So anyone who knows Kev, you can tap him up. We'll give him all the decent places to go to. But just quickly, I just want to know interesting as well, because obviously Newcastle, you're in the Premier League, so when you come down, it's good to know what your views are. What team or teams have impressed you so far? The, the surprise package for me was Huddersfield. Um, Huddersfield were our first game at home. And I think there was a big expectation of Newcastle. I mean, Huddersfield is not exactly glamorous, are they? And I think there was a big expectation of a big home game. We've sold more season tickets than we have done for years. Um, people were expecting us just to roll them over and not only did they turn us over and beat us but they did it in style they were a good team they decent football in that as well and I think I thought they looked you know, particularly good um, I think they stood out actually as, um, so far I mean it's early days in the season yes I mean Rotherham were very spirited we, we tend to find that people up their game a little bit against us and I think you know if I was playing for Rotherham which I've never been really good enough to do but if I was in a, you're playing for a club like that and then Newcastle come to town or you go to St James's Park, you will up again. You know, it's a bit of a cliche that it's everybody's cup final or something you know, when you go to what's been a, for the last few years a Premier League ground. But people do seem to you know, really make an effort and on the top of their game for it. So they've all been challenging. But I think the surprise fact is me, as I say, of the few we've played so far has been Huddersfield. And yeah, the same with us as well because we played Huddersfield the week before we played, uh, they played you. And uh, we had beat them 5-1 last game of the season. So we played them first game of the season. We thought, oh, we'll go. They'll make it 4-1 this time. And they played some wicked football. They're much fitter than us. They brought these new players in. Wagner, their manager's great. There's a vibe about him. He even had a beer. We went to a beer festival just outside the station, which was wicked. It was like about 3,000, 4,000 people outside the station. And there was this beer, Wagner's special or something like that. It was cool. With his, he's got a, face, his, you know, a little cartoon of his face with the beard and the glasses. We thought, listen, any team who've got their own beer, they, 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 they deserve promotion anyway, like, you know? Well, yeah, respect them for that. But I mean, I, I'm not sure whether it'll last all season, but they've got off to a flying start and they've, you know, they've earned it, they've got the results. So, Do you feel Newcastle have set themselves up well for the Championship? I, I think so. I think I mean, I've got a lot of confidence in Benitez and he's, uh, I mean, especially given that he's managed at the very highest level, he still seems to have his head round what's required one tier below and he's built he's built a squad because he has virtually rebuilt the squad and he's built it for the championship and we brought in people with championship pedigree um, you know people with experience at that, at that sort of level as well as keeping some good you know good Premier League players um, and I think we're quite well set up he will take his squads anywhere but I think with the, with the rate that the fixtures come in the championship was the other thing to make difference you know sometimes in the Premier League you only get one day of a fortnight or one a week but uh, in the championship, we're finding they're coming thick and fast as you know, midweek games most weeks. And uh, 
his squad rotation thing and his bid squad seems to be working quite well. So I, I think we're okay without one to sound cocky and arrogant about this and take no for granted because I've got a personal track record as soon as I open my mouth and things like this, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> so look, you're scoring goals and you're, you're defending reasonably well. So, I mean, you seem on course for promotion back to the Premier League. But I've got to ask you, what could go horribly wrong for you? We've, we've ridden our luck in defence a little bit. I think there are still, although we've got a big squad, there are still one or two players that if we take injuries to them, then we've got real problems. And I think there are still positions in which we, we haven't got the strength. I think we're vulnerable at left-back. I don't like picking on individual players, so I won't mention any names, but I think we're vulnerable when we can left-back uh, in particular. And uh, even up front, um, Mitrovic, I mean, he's, he, as we're speaking now, he's just scored two goals at international level, but he's a bit of a loose cannon, and he doesn't all, we don't always seem to get value for money out of him, even though he's a big lad, he should be able to survive in the, in the, in the championship. Up front, I think we're probably, you know, Dwight Gale, where it sounds churlish to complain, but I just think, you know, when, if Dwight Gale gets injured and Mitrovic gets suspended, then we've never got a problem up front. Saturday, got 3,000 mighty, mighty bees on the march up to St. James's Park. I mean, you underestimated the Wagner revolution and you went down to relegation tipped Huddersfield. Just to let you know, we were also tipped for relegation by Ian Holloway. So does that make you a tad nervous? It makes Ian Holloway an idiot. Um, I mean, I don't think you can take anything for granted. I think we'll be okay because I think we're starting to get the measure of the, of the league. But like everybody else in Grums, I expect your players to be on their toes. I expect them to rise to the occasion. It's not what you're used to. There will be 50,000 people on the ground. Your fans, and I don't think this is a good thing, but you'll be tucked away on the top tier. There might be 3,000. You might make a lot of noise, but we won't hear it. And that's a really bad thing for my point. I think it's a bad... It's the worst location of away fans. In, well, it certainly wasn't the Premier League. Probably in the Championship as well. I mean, I think it'll be a good competitive game. Uh, I think we've probably got more than you have, but hey, these things bite me on the arse. They do. I mean, the thing is, and, I mean, I know, I mean, I've been to Newcastle a couple of times before, you know, climbing up those 14 flights of stairs up to the top there. And it's, uh, this whole idea of putting fans away, I mean, I think the whole thing about football, I know that you want to try and get competitive advantage, but this whole just throwing the fans up in the corner so that, you know, your home fans get the advantage and you can sing and everything like that, I mean, it's not really, as they say, it's not really cricket, is it? It's just, it's, it's just not, you know, it's like some teams want to ban away fans completely from football and a lot of fans say actually they like the idea of having home fans there because it gets the, you know, the away fans get the home fans going, it gets a real vibe going. So, I mean, this kind of kills it a little bit, don't, don't you think? I, I, I think it's dreadful and it's something that's going to be outlawed in the Premier League. The Premier League and about, they haven't already agreed that they're about to agree a rule where the, the, the away fans have to be pitch side or at least a section and you can have a a slice of the, of the, you know, a segment of the, the stadium, but there's got to be some of them pitch side, and I think it's for the best. It's for the best for the home fans as well, because we, when you get the crowd going at Newcastle, it's just fifty thousand. You get them going, it's an incredible atmosphere, but you do spark off the away fans, and I think it's it's really short-sighted putting the, the away fans at the top. I'm not even sure it's just thought out as trying to kill the atmosphere and competitive advantage. I think it's just been lazy, you know, uh, from the point of view of what's the easiest way to manage them, that sort of thing, rather than thinking what away fans can contribute to the, to the spectacle. I know um, we had it at Sunderland, Sunderland or the other Premier League club that put the fans in the top tier. And, I mean, I've been to Derby's at the stadium a fair, 
uh, where we'd be both down pitch side and in the top tier, and it's a completely different experience, not just for us, but for the whole ground. It just kills the atmosphere, putting the away fans out of this. And, yeah. I mean, I think away fans are an endangered species that need to be valued and encouraged, and Newcastle aren't doing that. It's funny enough, the FSF do surveys about away fans' experiences, and Newcastle still comes out as one of the favourite venues for people to visit, but that's despite the location of the ground. What's the well, thing that is the location of the ground in the city? That's what makes it. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, city centre grounds, people love going to city centre grounds, it's right in the middle of it, it's right in the middle of the hub of the community, you know, you can find loads of pubs around and, and it's always normally buzzing around there, whereas obviously if it's out of stadium, you know, it, there's no real vibe around the ground, so that's why I think so many people are looking forward to their trip on Saturday. It's a decent city, because it's, it's got a certain reputation for partying, so uh, yeah, you'd be very, very well. That's right, so listen, Kev, final question, I've got to ask you, give us a score prediction. Three one Newcastle, and I'm going to say one all. I'll, I'll, we'll give you the point. <laughs> That's probably more realistic. Yeah. yeah. All right, mate. Listen, Kev. Great to chat to you, and I'm going to catch up with you on Saturday. And I know that you've got like a little boozer for the bees all sorted out, um, which we'll give the notes to if people sort of come onto the besotted site or uh, we listen to the podcast later. We may mention it as well. But it's a, a little bit of a not secret squirrel as such. But we sort of kind of keep it a little bit tight because. Uh, I know you've only got a limited capacity, but you said that you welcome the bees to come to this place. So if anyone chats to us or they can email us or we'll put a little tweet out or message us, we'll get the message out to people who want to be drinking within stone's throw of the ground as well, isn't it? It is indeed. But you, you'll find that there's a pretty warm welcome in nearly all of the pubs in Newcastle. They're all city centres. There's not, I'm not, I'm not aware of any pubs that are ban away fans. It's not, you know, not that sort of place. You'd be welcome everywhere. Okay, wicked. All right, Kevin, I'll see you on Saturday, mate. Cheers. So a bit of trepidation up there in Newcastle. Yeah, it's like they're confident, but it's it's quite good because obviously in this league they just don't really know what to expect. So I I feel there's a vibe where now Kevin said 3-1, but it's almost like he didn't quite believe it because he has got no idea. He he, he probably, you know, and this is no disrespect because Kevin's a good guy and he knows a lot of things, but he probably doesn't know any of the Brentford players, anything how we play, who our top goal scorer is. The same for most of the Newcastle fans out there, which is good. So we're going to go there, hopefully, as a bit of a surprise. And, of course, the Newcastle scouting team would have done their job. And they'll be out there knowing what's going on. But in general, people will have no idea what's going on. And that's a very good situation for Brentford to be in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But we've got to be realists. You know, I watched the um, Newcastle-Norwich game fairly recently where, where Newcastle won it miraculously at the death um, they, Newcastle looked like they were capable of scoring 10 goals um, Dwight York is um, sorry Dwight York um, Dwight Gale Dwight Gale showing my age there um, he, he's, he's another one that's too good for this league but not quite good enough for the Prem he's stuck, he's stuck in the middle of the two places uh, he, 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 could, he could dismantle us but if, if, if you if, if you get Newcastle on the wrong day where they when they can't finish, we're capable of beating them. So anything could happen up in Newcastle. And I'm, I'm not go, I'm not going up there with a losing mindset. We're going up there as massive underdogs. Of course we are. Um, but you know we've we've won grounds up and down this division. Up and down this country. Up and down this division. We've won at some really really impressive stadiums. And I don't see why St James's Park. It doesn't really hold any fear for the players. They don't go out there and look scared any 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 day of any week. 
So I think as fans, we're going there um, as a bit of a bit, bit of football tourists, really, probably. Um, we're going to go and sing our hearts out. We're, we'll go and make a, make some noise. I don't expect to go there and come away with anything more than a point. And if we do, um, it'll probably be one of the best footballing moments of my time as a Bees fan, I would say. Be liberal. I would love it. I would just love it love if it. we beat Can Newcastle. <laughs> Thank you for the people who recognise that references. I'd just love it if we managed to go out and beat them. But uh, two things. One of which is that we've got uh, 3,000 Bees fans travelling up, and that is fantastic news. But to the, um, to the 2,000 who are going because it's Newcastle game, you've got to understand that, as we said earlier, this is a big game of the season. And there will be people standing up, there will be people singing, there will be people chanting. And what the Brentford away fans cannot do, sitting up in the gods as we will be, is sit on our backsides and applaud politely. You have got to get behind the team. And I'm not normally one of those people who says, you know, you know, let, let, let's pay regard to everybody. If you, if you need to sit because of a disability or your age, make sure you go down the front, up the front of the away section. If you um, want to stand or, and sing and sing out for the lads, move, move up t- towards the back. And I hope... Everybody, I hope all 3,000 Brentford fans that are there in the stadium in St James's Park on Saturday understand what needs to be done. But just quick, it's going to be a really tough game, and I think that if if the 3,000 Brentford fans get behind our team, sing and shout and move move on move us on up, we can get something out of the game, which will probably be a one-all draw. A one-all draw for you? Did you get a score prediction from you? Uh, I, well, I think I think my my heart says we're going to lose. So my, my head says we're going to lose. But but I, I score prediction. No, no, no I'll, get, I'll get to the score prediction in a minute. But I, I echo everything that Nick said. Can Brentford fans please be understanding of fellow Brentford fans? Whatever the number that says on your ticket, ignore. Just sit according to where you want to participate and allow Brentford fans to get behind their team. And, you know, don't, don't, don't bicker amongst yourselves. If a Brentford fan wants to stand up and sing, allow them to do so. They've travelled they've travelled X hundred miles and they've spent whatever to be there and they're there to, 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 to really get behind the team and to cheer the team onto victory, if at all possible. Do not, do not be anal and say, oh, I, I've, this is my seat, go and sit, you know. Just, just be aware of, of, of what supporting your team and getting behind your team in a away game means. And just coming back to that, and you can come back there, and, and you're exactly right. And the fact is, people have to remember. Unfortunately, we 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 appreciate it because people want to sit where they want to sit. But unfortunately, the system won't allow people to be where they are. So we would love the standards to be in a certain area if they want to stand and the sitters to be in a certain area so everyone's happy. But unfortunately, we've tried it so many times and the system won't allow it. They just like, basically, everyone buys their tickets together and then you have to fight it out amongst yourselves, which is wrong. So we have to try and be understanding amongst ourselves. Sorry about that, Dave. You're going to give the score prediction. No, no. You, and again, you're, you're spot on. Every time we kick up a fuss, they try and do something about it. Then it resorts back to not caring one little jot. So... Um, um, a score prediction is uh, 3-1 Newcastle. Yeah, lads. Um, 
agree with everything you said about self, for want of a better word, policing. Um, let's try and do that amongst ourselves. Um, in terms of the game, you know what? I, in, a, in a funny way, Newcastle play to our strengths because they're going to they're gonna have a vociferous home crowd behind them and they're going to come at us. And I, there's just a little bit of me hopes we can, um, that we can pick them off. And um, <laughs> on the other side of things, this probably is the hardest test we've had since we were promoted. Um, you may say the Middlesbrough game in the, in the playoff, obviously, but so, you know, it's, it's a difficult one to call. But, but we, you, do you know what? We, we can do this. Can. I, I firmly believe we can do this. Um, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and um, go with 2-1 Brentford. But this, this isn't a barometer of our season at all, is it? No, no, this is a one-off game. This is like... It's, 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 it's the cup tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, um, it's, the third, it's the fifth round cup tie we probably won't have this year. Yeah, and, and people... Oh, oh, do not get me started on that. Do not get and me started on that. And that, and, and, that, and that, Brentford fans, is why we should make the most of it. Indeed. So, listen, and for myself, as, as I said, and I talked to Kev as well, I think it's a one-all draw. I'll be happy with a draw up at Newcastle, but if we can sneak it, it'll be very good. And as Laney has said... And as Matt said, they actually they do play to our strengths, but um, maybe they might do a little bit of a skill like like what like what Wigan did. And Wigan did a little bit of skill where they play one particular way, but in, in the fact they flipped they flipped the script a little bit and they actually played a different way when they played us. But I don't think Newcastle will be able to do that at home because if they do, they'll get hammered. I, I reckon the thing that we're gonna say very soon has never been said in this pub before. I, I believe that is true. That's coming in a few minutes. But listen, this is the besotted Pride of West London podcast, and we are coming from the White Hart pub, and it's in Suffolk. Nice little pub, real pub, in a real part of town. If you want to go to the Tate, you know, with people that know about stuff, the, the, the Tate Moderns around the corner as well. You could dis- subscribe to Besotted on iTunes, uh, where you can write, I'm going to say, big, big thumbs up to Bishby. Bishby. Wicked man, he did a little review for us on iTunes and thank you very much. Thumbs up, please and give us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe to us there, Audio Boom as well. And Besotted 1992, you can get our uh, videos on there as well. Besotted Social is on its way. There's going to be a link to this page. Just check this page. There should be a link that you can share. You can sign up for the social because they're going to be hot tickets. Trust me, trust me. Players are already lined up for the social on the 2nd of November as well. And also, like I said to you, train info, 15 quid each way up to Newcastle. Still may be available. Besotted1992 at gmail.com. But listen, the banging on the table is happening. As we say, and people are looking at us around the corner here. Smiling, though, to be fair. They think it's really funny as we say. Come on, you bees! Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.